Zach Blakeney works as a self-mastery and consciousness coach and is the founder of the Conscious Creators Community. Uh, but I, I got myself lost in pornography when I was 14. Uh, that was my first time remembering starting to watch pornography. Um, so unbeknownst to myself at that time, it would turn into a 16-year addiction. He empowers world-class leaders and founders to transform from the inside out. By the time I was 20, I started smoking weed and getting into different types of drugs. Uh, and that also escalated as I was escalating in my porn use because they go hand in hand. Uh, the stress, the guilt, the shame, the, all the different emotions that come through that process. I was on a never-ending search outside of myself for fulfillment, which when I look at a broader definition of addiction, that's what I define addiction as, is a never-ending search outside of yourself for your own fulfillment. His unique methodology and processes create fast, repeatable results that collapses time on achieving long-term success and personal fulfillment. If I could change something, right, based off of just because this is the frame of mind of what it is, I would not have watched porn. <laughs> Before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan. Thank you for tuning in. So, Zach, I know that you empower world-class leaders and founders to transform from the inside out. Can you tell us about a time where you felt disempowered in your own life? And how did you begin to harness that sense of empowerment from the inside out on your journey here? Yeah. So just looking at empowerment and disempowerment. So empowerment to me is the recognition of the truth that I know, which is that I am the creator and the cause of my life's experiences. Uh, what I choose, I, I create. Uh, disempowerment comes from the victim consciousness space, which means that, you know, I, I don't have any power. I don't, I don't choose these things. I don't choose the pain and the suffering that I'm experiencing. And with that, it's, there's no way out. And there's no way out from that type of loop, which is why we call them victim loops. Now, for myself, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, my growing up, um, I grew up in a upper middle class white American family. Um, I have nothing to complain about when it came to my upbringing. Uh, truthfully, did I complain about things? Absolutely. I was a kid. I had known no better. But now when I look back, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was a great upbringing. Uh, but I, I got myself lost in pornography when I was 14. Uh, that was my first time remembering starting to watch pornography. And uh, it was also a time where we were moving from AOL dial-up internet into broadband. So we're talking about like 1999, 2000. Once broadband internet came up, uh, that's where like uh, porn videos started coming online. So, I mean, the capability of, you know, what it could process and everything else. So it started flooding the internet. Well, I'm 14. Uh, my family is fortunate enough to have a very nice computer, so I get to explore, right, all these different things. And uh, my parents did as best job as they could of, of putting blockers on and whatnot, but I'm a kid motivated by sex, uh, so I'm going to find ways to watch it. Um, so unbeknownst to myself at that time, it would turn into a 16-year addiction uh, that 
I would become so enamored in, you know, watching sex and watching porn and obviously the, 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 the orgasm from it and the, 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 the excitement, so to speak, of doing something I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing and all these different things, uh, turned into a 16 year addiction that I experienced all the way up until I was 30. Uh, by the time I was 20, I started smoking weed and getting into different types of drugs. Uh, and that also escalated as I was escalating in my porn use because they go hand in hand, uh, the stress, the guilt, the shame, the, all the different emotions that come through that process. I was on a never ending search outside of myself for fulfillment, which when I look at a broader definition of addiction, that's what I define addiction as is a never ending search outside of yourself for your own fulfillment. Uh, you might attach yourself to dopamine you know, producing behaviors like porn and phone and drugs and stuff like that. But ultimately, it's the search. So uh, it came to head when I was 30, and I had gotten married when I was 27. Well, 30 was the year that uh, my ex-wife had enough. Um, she filed for a divorce. Um, I was forced out about my addiction. When I say forced, I mean that essentially I was given an ultimatum by my ex-wife to say, hey, you're either going to admit that you have a problem or I'm going to leave. Um, so I chose from that force to say, okay, yes, I have an addiction. This is a problem. And uh, then the drugs and everything else. So essentially, I got to the point where my ex-wife, who was madly in love with me when we first got together, said, I'm not even attracted to you. I don't know who you are. And my mindset around that point was that it was her fault, that it was my parents' fault, that it was porn's fault, that it was everybody else's fault but me. And if it's everybody else's fault, then ultimately, I have no power to change who I am, to transform or do anything from that point. So I would tell you that just in that wrap up, that was the point where I felt the most depowered um, was feeling as if the life that I was living, it was like I was watching a movie of my life and I couldn't do anything to change that movie. And that was so incredibly depowering for me to the point where it put me into the deepest, darkest hole that I've ever been in in my life. Hmm. Sounds like you're telling my story there. <laughs> well, we're very, not alone, man. Not alone. We're very, very, very similar. Started uh, watching porn when I was 13, the VCR tapes, and then the internet, dial up internet, waiting about half an hour for an image to load up on the screen. And then we eventually moved to videos. And yeah, I, I had a porn addiction as well up until, yeah, around 30 as well. And uh, yeah. so it's very interesting that we have uh, similar backgrounds, but. We're not the only two with that struggle. So you're kicked out of the house or you're forced out and now you're in the pit of despair, feeling mm -hmm. like a victim, having a little pity party for yourself. I've been there. I've, again, I've, I've, I understand the process here. So how did you begin to, how did you begin to get out of that pit that you were stuck in and to begin moving forward again in your life? Yeah, so the first experience that was very impactful for me uh, was I was meditating. Uh, I had learned how to do transcendental meditation a couple of months prior to my ex-wife leaving. And uh, I hadn't really picked it up too much until I, I, I was dabbling with it, but I wasn't consistent with it. But after she left, I spent about a month still in victim. Like, how could she leave me? We were going to spend our life together, the whole stories. And, uh, and then I meditated and a voice spoke to me. Uh, source, higher self, me, you know, who knows at this point, uh, it essentially said, you know, what would happen if you start taking 100% responsibility for your life and your choices? And it hit me so deep inside of my heart that I was like, Ooh, 
Like that's that that's that's true, right? And and it's the only way out. It's the only way out from where I'm at right now is a completely shift in perception from it's not my fault to it's my responsibility. Now, at the time, I didn't know a difference between fault and responsibility, and and we can go down that rabbit hole if we want to at some point. But um, I, I was blaming myself. And it, well, actually, this is going to explain it. I was blaming myself. And through blaming myself and taking fault from it, I also was eliciting emotional responses of guilt and shame towards myself. So at that time, it was still a shift because I went from blame outward to blame inward. But the blame inward was still really depowering because now it was a lot of like feeling sorry for myself and like all the regret. Like when you get into a divorce or end of relationship ends, I call it the guilt, shame, regret cycle, where you're regretting all the decisions that you made. You feel guilty about what you did. Now you're alone. Like it's just this massive loop that you find yourself in. Um, but as I started to explore into the possibility that it's my fault, I started to see things differently. Right? I started to look inward. I started to see my own behavior. I started to move myself into the observer role without being aware that that's what I was doing. So now I'm just observing. I'm observing how I'm showing up. I'm observing the things that my ex-wife told me. She was telling me that she didn't leave me because of the addiction. She left me because I was lying, I was manipulating, and I was controlling, which is all behaviors that are centered around protecting an addiction. And even though I had actually healed from the addiction of porn, I still had these subconscious behaviors that were still elicited to the addiction. So I, but I rejected that. I'm not lying. I'm not about right. But then I started looking at it. I said, wait, I was. And I still am. I'm lying, I'm controlling, I'm manipulating. So once I started to do that, then I actually started to become very motivated. You could say empowered to start to understand what happened to me, so to speak. Like, so I went and I dove into science. I dove into subconscious remapping, epigenetics, neurochemistry, neuroplasticity. I learned as much as I could about porn, outside influence. I was doing all that. And that brought me some solace. I was like, oh, okay. So I can see that this is something that I can change. I can't, I'm not trapped by this. I can change because it's all these different science things that tells me I can't. So I started doing my work towards that space, but ultimately it was still kind of unfulfilling. It gave me some temporary solace, but I was still felt like something was missing. And that, that feeling that something was missing is what drove me deeper into where I sit now, which is understanding consciousness and my belief of consciousness and or spirituality of oneness being that everything basically that the creator is the creation that the creation is the creator there is no separation between the two which means that there's no separation between me and that was the last thing that truly empowered me that gave me that last bit of like oh in my terminology i'm actually god expressing myself as a human being now, I'm not here to say I am God totally. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that I am such, but I'm I'm the universe expressing myself as a human being. Right. So then I was like, oh, okay. So now there's a huge connection there. And then what is what what is it like to be the creator of this universe? Well, the creator of this universe, from what we know, used its thoughts and its words to create what we see in front of me. What am I doing? Using my thoughts and my words to create my reality. So it was this last bit of really being unified with my creator, my belief in my creator of what that is, that then gave me the empowerment to know that I create like my creator and I have the same access to this divine intelligence or power to create. And then from there, and I would say that that really, you know, I'm giving you a timeline. It was 30. I did about three years of science work and physiological work and stuff like that. And then 33, strange number, really is where that started to come forward. And then that's been the direction of my practice ever since, which is really saying that consciousness is actually everything. 
and learning about consciousness and what consciousness's true nature is as the observer and how to see through consciousness then unlocks a deeper understanding of, of information that's actually buried inside of you that you're just going through a remembering process to access. Mm -hmm. It's quite overwhelming, isn't it? It is when I, I think when I discuss all this now, but what's what's funny is is that it's not actually. The more conscious you become, the simpler life is. It is the ego, it is the victim that creates the story loops, that creates all these things, that creates the confusion and the doubt and the insecurity and all these other things, that it makes it very complicated and convoluted to try and navigate through. But truly, consciousness is very simple, simple principles, simple axioms that you can ground yourself as guidance to respond and create inside of the creator. So my, as I become more conscious and as I move into this space, it isn't overwhelming. It's actually very simple. Seeing things through an objective lens of what is and then realizing that my subjective lens, how I feel about those things is my choice. What are some of those principles that you would so outline? Yeah, so I, I have what I call the 777 rule, and this is what I do with uh, my clients as well. And I, I go from a higher perspective to the uh, individual. So first, I like to uh, introduce the seven hermetic principles. So the seven hermetic principles are essentially what I call the rules to the game. Uh, as an analogy, uh, Gavin, if I were to tell you, hey, man, you're going to go play American football, and you're going to go play cornerback. Well, if you have no idea what American football is, like you don't even know the rules or anything else, you're going to go get into a position that you think might be right and they're going to play and you're going to suck. Now, you're going to learn through your experience, but ultimately you're not going to do very well. Now, Gavin, if I gave you the rules to the American football and said, here's the rules, study the rules, now go play cornerback. Well, now you understand that there's an offense, there's a defense, there's a plays. I'm covering the wide receiver. I'm doing this. So now you're able to navigate through the game a lot easier. Well, to me, that's what the hermetic principles are. Then I bring them into the next seven, which is I call the, the seven powerful rules to be the creator of your life. These are seven principles that are statements that essentially just say, look, if you follow these seven, this is what it means to be a creator. And that if you follow them, you will create. If you feel out of alignment with them, you are in victim. So now it's just giving them a clear distinction between each two ways of being. And then I bring them into what I call the, the, the seven shield, which is essentially just seven elements of defining different areas of their life, spirituality, purpose, uh, characteristics, uh, success, happiness, abundance, so that they have clear grounding of who they are on an individual level. So it goes from highest perspective of, how, okay, the laws of the universe, so to speak, and then the laws of a creator, and then the laws for yourself so that you have grounding in how you're acting in alignment with who you truly are. So it starts from the ground up yeah, for, the, yeah. for the individual. Yeah. So the higher perspective, a lot of it, like for instance, I'll take one of them out of them. Principle of cause and effect. This is one of the principles of hermeticism. It's also a law of the universe. For every cause, there's an effect. For every effect is a cause. You know, chance is but a law not recognized, meaning that in our other, in my seven powerful rules, we say there are no accidents. There are no accidents. So once you can say, okay, oh, this principle is this. So there's a cause for every effect. Well, now I can start observing my life and I can start finding out where causes are that are causing an effect that is unfavorable. Oh, my belief system at cause is creating an effect of me feeling guilty and unworthy and everything else. Well, there's a distortion, what we could say, inside of that belief that has an unfavorable effect for you. You don't feel guilty because of you know anything from the outside, you feel guilty because your own interpretation of your behavior and how you showed up, that's your cause. 
right? So that principle, when put into the view of somebody's life, starts to make connections. So it starts to dissolve confusion. It starts to, it's like, oh, here's some more clear things, right? Uh, I'll bring them into the seven powerful rules to be a creator of your life. So I, I mentioned there are no accidents, but our rule number one is to be your word. So be your word for us essentially means integrity. Do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. You always do these things. And we call this the number one driver of results for you. Because if you were always your word, you would always get the results because you wouldn't succumb to your reasons, your excuses, your circumstances that keep you from doing that thing. So now this one rule then allows them to see, oh, shit, when I'm not my word, I feel like an imposter. Well, of course you do, because you're a fraud to your own word. When I am my word, I feel self-respect, which in a masculine way is self-respect. I feel self-love in the feminine way. Oh, now I've found self-love inside of myself just by what I'm doing and saying what I'm going to do, right? And then once we get into the individual seven elements of the creator shield, that's just individual to them. I help them create their own their own words based off what feels right to them, but still has the same effect, which is aligning them into their absolute highest and best self. Mm. So going back to the relationship you had with porn, mm -hmm. the addiction with porn, are you completely free of that addiction now? Is that the do the temptation still rise up, but now you have these principles or now you have this other avenue that you can channel that energy into or what how does that how does that play out in your life at the moment? Yeah, so yes, 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 and yes. Um, all of that in the healing process was learning how to essentially remap my dopamine illicit responses to things that weren't porn and to things that uh, would fill me up. For instance, uh, when you meditate, you release about 70% of your dopamine into your body through meditation. So meditation could be that thing. Um, ultimately, these are all just like principles, and, or not principles, these are like uh, tips and tools, right? But, but again, uh, I can have a hammer and a hammer sitting on a table does nothing unless I pick up the hammer and I use it, right? So a tool isn't the end all be all. I'm still the cause of the tool. So what I would tell you is, is that um, the, what happened was, is that as I become aware of my choice to watch porn as the trigger, right? A trigger could have been, or was, my ex-wife leaves to go somewhere. I'm now alone. So what would I normally do when I'm alone and no one's watching me? Oh, now it's my opportunity to explore porn, right? So the trigger was her leaving. So I then became aware of these things. Okay, well, now I'm here at a crux point, a choice point where I've been triggered. And normally between stimulus and response, I wouldn't choose to do otherwise. My response would be to watch porn. But your freedom lies in between stimulus and response. So the stimulus being the trigger my response subconsciously was porn. Now I realize there's a choice point in between there. Well, I have a choice. Okay. Well, what is my commitment? My commitment is to not watch porn anymore. So now let me orient my choice to my commitment, not to whatever I'm currently experiencing in my emotional body and everything else that's going through it. So as I did this work over time, as I did the self-discovery and the self-exploration to understand where these different triggers are, I then started to see them not as triggers, but I called them windows. Because if a trigger means it's a gun, which means if I had the trigger and I pull the trigger, the bullet's going to go. But 
If I say it's a window, I can look through that window and take a second and say, oh, what am I observing if I choose to open this window and walk through? I guess you can use a glass door too, but I use the window because it's hard to get through a window. <laughs> so if I, oh, I'm looking, oh, I know if I go down that route, here's what the result is. No matter what my brain is telling me right now, no matter if my ego is telling me this is the last time and everything's going to be okay. I've seen that before. So now do I want to open the window or do I want to keep the window closed? No, I want to keep the window closed. I'm going to go and do something different, whatever that is. And it's not that it's not difficult because it absolutely is difficult. It's very difficult to do this type of work and to overcome it. But what happens is, is that over time, when you make that different choice, which has a different effect, that choice then gets mapped into your subconscious to where you no longer have a trigger because the choice is that I'm not going to do it. So now where I'm at, where I'm about to be 37 this year, I'm 36 now and going now six years through the healing process of porn. It's not that I don't experience thoughts of watching porn, but I don't have an emotional response to it. It is just a thought that passes through my head and I'm like, oh, porn. Oh, okay, whatever. Cool. I'm going to keep on doing. So there's no emotional attachment to that thought. Now, I don't know if that's going to always be the case. I'm open to the possibility that it's not. I'm possibility that it is. But I do know that when it does happen, it doesn't, it doesn't have an emotional response for me anymore, which allows it just to be just like another passing thought in my mind. Did you have to get down to the core reasons as to why you had such an addiction with porn? You talk about your wife leaving, for example, and you being alone. Was that an, was that an ingrained fear of being on your own or being alone? Oh, absolutely. Else? Yeah, no, I mean, fear of being alone was the first thing I faced when my ex-wife left me because, I mean, this is what happens for many people these days is, is I wasn't alone with my family. Then I went to college. I lived with roommates. Uh, I found a, a sweetheart in college that I lived with afterwards. Then me and her broke up. And about six months later, me and my ex-wife got together. But when me and that girl broke up, I was always hanging out with my friends. I was over at their houses. I didn't want to be alone. Right. So then when me and my ex-wife broke up and I was alone for over a year, it was the first time I was ever actually living alone and didn't intentionally did not reach out to distract myself from being alone. And the first two or three months was hell, dude. Like I, anxiety through the roof. Uh, I was doing, I was, I went, I, even though I stopped doing the porn, I went back to doing drugs. So I was doing some, I was doing like Coke and I was doing Molly and stuff like that. Like that's what I was doing again. And I realized what I was doing there. Uh, so it really was, uh, probably those first three months or so really hell. And then I started to become more aware of, okay, no, like this is really what this is. I'm afraid to be alone. But with the addiction, you know, we talked about this again. It was kind of innocent when it first started. Right? I'm 14 years old. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I'm choosing technically of what's going to be the long-term thing. But as I did it over time, it was guilt and shame and stress and anxiety in repeat patterns that would elicit the emotional response to watch porn. So for a time there, I was specifically, and I still do this on the side, but I was specifically helping guys with a porn addiction program uh, to help them heal in 90 days. And that's how we were able to have a 100% success rate, which with having this go through is, is we were like, it's not an addiction to porn. It's an addiction to shame. It's an addiction to guilt. It's an addiction to stress. It's an emotional addiction. And if you look at it from the emotional lens, you could, if, if you're, if you're still experiencing shame, guilt, stress, whatever, and I took porn away, well, you'll just attach yourself to the next thing, drinking, drugs, whatever else. So the cause of it is our thoughts and the emotional response, which is eliciting these lower level vibration emotions that we must heal from. If we heal from these things, 
then you'll notice that you don't really have a response to want to escape into anything because you're happy with who you are. So that's how we move through those things and kind of how I move through those things in a broader sense. Mm -hmm. Are there some fundamental tools or strategies that you could offer men who are struggling at the moment in terms of, okay, if you're at this point in your life and you're not satisfied or you have this internal chaos going on within and maybe you're not yet at a point where you are ready to reach out to someone like yourself, yeah. is there something you can offer them to enable them to take a step forward in the right direction? Yeah. Are you talking about if they're struggling with porn or just maybe just not showing up with how they want to show up? Yeah. In general. I mean, if there's an underlying pain there that they're struggling with, because yeah. again, with porn, as you mentioned, porn is never the problem. It's the pain behind the porn. That's the problem. So yeah. it could be porn, but it could be gambling. It could be just a sense of a lack of worth within or some internal trauma or pain from the past that they're potentially unaware of. So yeah. Yeah, what does that look like in terms of? Well, so so as just a general like, hey, here's some advice. One, if you don't have a routine for yourself uh, that is setting yourself up for the day, um, then you're you're missing out on creating because uh, you're showing up reacting. So just give you an idea of what my morning routine looks like. Um, I set first of all, I set my phone and my alarm uh, in on my phone inside of my closet uh, where my clothes are already laid out. So what that does for me, that's a hack, right? So if you're having trouble getting up early, put your phone in your closet and have the alarm go off. You're going to have to get up out of your bed to go and turn the alarm off. The second hack is here are my clothes. So sure, I can battle the, well, I want to go back to sleep, except for my clothes right here. I don't have to think. Okay, I put on my clothes. Third thing I do is I go directly to grabbing an ice cold water. Uh, normally I have my water bottle and I have it set out in my bathroom and it's already cold water and I'll start chugging the cold water. So in a very minuscule way as an ice bath, again, the hot to cold, you're hibernating. If I drink ice cold water, like my eyes will be kind of sleepy. And as I'm drinking the water, my eyes will start to wake up while I'm drinking the water because of the drastic difference in temperature of what I'm experiencing there. Again, it is much better to do an ice bath. Just want to let everybody know on that sense. But this has a similar effect in a sense of the wakefulness, not necessarily the, um, you know, the dopamine afterwards and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so after that, um, I go downstairs and I go outside. Um, here in Austin, if I'm waking up at 6 a.m., it's still dark outside, but I'm just experiencing fresh air. Uh, and then I uh, set my space for meditation. So I meditate for about 30 minutes uh, in transcendental style. Um, then after the meditation, it's gratitude in my mind, and then it's visualization. Um, and then I come up out of that, I come back upstairs, I make my whatever I need to make for pre-workout, whether it's food or, you know, EAAs or something like that. And I go work out, come back from working out, then I sit down and then I start doing some journaling and I start looking at my day. During that time, I'm not perfect at it, but I do my absolute best not to check anything on my phone because I don't want to put myself into reaction. I want to keep myself in creating and all of these things elicit dopamine in the morning. All of these things are putting me into a proactive space in my mind, which during the first 10 minutes of waking is the time to, you can really program your subconscious to do things differently. And if you immediately start with looking at your phone, you're programming your subconscious to be reactive. If you immediately start with doing something proactive, then you're going to be more proactive for the rest of the day. So that's my morning routine. I have an evening 10 minute wrap up to make sure that like I keep my mind, like work stays at work, 
home stays at home. I have some journaling prompts, some contemplation I do. Um, but that's been probably the most impactful thing for me in a sense of keeping myself in a routine. Um, and it all is about eliciting willpower inside yourself. Yeah. I'm right there with you, my man. Any man who comes to work with me, that's the first thing we've got to set is the foundation in the morning time. And that check-in with yourself before you start checking in with the world and show up for yourself before you start start showing up for the world. And your morning routine is quite similar to mine where I have a wake-up alarm and my clothes are ready, uh, already laid out. I do have a cold shower before I get changed. So... Used to be going to the sea, but it's just too dark this time of year. Yeah. So it's it's cold shower, get changed. I do have a coffee in the morning, and that is something I'm looking to potentially change or adjust and swap that drink to something else because of the dopamine spike and potential dopamine crash come that comes afterwards. But I have it as a as a pre workout almost, and then I have my journal in the morning before I go to the gym, and then I work out. And I come home and I'm set for the day. But meditation is is one of those things that I continue to ponder over, but I have not yet dipped into it. I'm at a point in my life where I feel like I have gone through a serious healing process. But like you mentioned earlier, I think there's more to be found there. And I have potentially hit a ceiling and I'm not entirely sure how to break the ceiling. I was speaking to someone a couple of weeks ago about going on a mushroom retreat, which sounds amazing. Uh, of course, I've contemplated and pondered over meditation, but I have not yet taken that step. So for someone who has, someone like myself, who's got their routine fairly dialed in, has possibly and probably gone through a process of personal growth but they've hit a ceiling mm -hmm. is meditation do you feel the next step to take or is this completely subjective i would say subjective although i'm a big advocate for for everybody should meditate simultaneously um so let me go here first um so what i what i i my clients with is self-mastery essentially. And I tell them, I say self-mastery is not an achievement. It's it's not because the moment you think you've arrived somewhere is the moment that your ego says, oh, I've got it. And then that creates the distortions of pride essentially, which we don't realize, like we don't want to be prideful. I wouldn't want to be prideful. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be those things. And typically I'm not those things outward to outward to other people. But my ego will definitely say, no, you know this, you know that, you know that, everything else, right? Well, you, really, you don't, because if you knew it, then you wouldn't be experiencing the uh, edge that you're not breaking through, right? So one of our rules of the context is you don't know what you don't know. I call it the ultimate ego killer, which allows us to be open to possibilities of all experiences of what we can bring in so that we can see through an open lens of what is the next route or you know pathway or whatever else that we're going to take uh, to get to where we need to go to. Also, there's the having clarity. Uh, so the, the the founders that I coach, the founders and leaders that I guide, uh, we say, okay, there's two to my to, to our belief. There's two primary characteristics of speed and also of, of a success, self-belief and clarity. So I ground them into those two things, self-belief and clarity. 
right? So self-belief is going to be huge because again, if I'm battling my doubt and my inadequacy and my fears and everything else, then it's ultimately taken away from my self-belief. And then that also is ultimately taken away from clarity. So seeking clarity is always the first thing because self-belief comes from, in my opinion, like if we get clear, then we get more belief on where we're going to go. So dissolving all the stories, right, that I'm telling myself of why I can't and really becoming really in tune to uh, the reasons and the excuses and the circumstances that I'm giving my power away to. Because those are the biggest ones in that be your word. It's like our brain likes to do this thing where we say, well, I'm not getting the result I want, but I have a good reason for it. And the good reason, the way the, the since we say it's subjectively a good reason, it makes us temporarily feel better, but we still experience long-term suffering because ultimately we're not getting the result we want. It doesn't matter whether it's a good or bad reason. So again, it's taking away from that subjective lens and looking at it that way. And then once you have the direction, so to speak, you've gotten clear, right? And then you also are very clear of like, okay, here are all these reasons, right? That I keep telling myself. Well, now I can start directing my work into those reasons. What is another possibility than this? What is another possibility than this? What is another possibility than this? And then you open up possibility and now you start creating different avenues instead of running into the same thing every single time. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, um, we actually do something with uh, our clients. Uh, it's, it's another service that we provide. It's a three-day in-person uh, transformation training that we do for leaders and founders. And we say that in the same, the ego pride thing, and we said that knowledge only comes through experience, but our ego likes to think differently. And the analogy I use is that I could sit in this chair and I could read every single personal development book, business building book, spirituality book, consciousness book on the planet, die 60 years from now, think I knew everything, but had done nothing, right? So then ultimately I've done nothing, which means I know nothing. So this training that we do, we've designed experiences. We leave the motivational speakers at home. We've designed experiences that are gentle but effective. We put our clients through it and they discover themselves through the experiences, through the challenge of the experiences. And then we also are monitoring them as a staff and we are helping them find the limitations, the things that they're unconscious about that they can't see. And we do all this completely sober. We say, you got to, there's no mind altering substance. There's no nothing because we want to empower people to realize that you don't need psilocybin for you to feel empowered and for you to know exactly who you are and what you need to do. You just need to experience more. So a lot of our coaching, my coaching is, is a, it's a balance between two. We do one-on-one -on -one sessions and then we have integrated action items that we give them. You need to go do this, you need to go do this, you need to go do this so that you can experience what you're either afraid of or you don't know and you get to create clarity through the experience and it just collapses time and also creates the empowerment. Uh, lastly, meditation. I just wanna, I'll speak briefly about meditation. When you meditate, there's already shown that we have different uh, waking states or, or states of uh, brain waves. We have our waking state, which is beta. Then we get into alpha, theta, and delta. There's gamma, but we'll just talk about those four. When we meditate, we get into alpha and theta. And in the consciousness space, you're moving your consciousness into God consciousness. You're, you're moving your consciousness into unity consciousness. So you're moving your consciousness into an area where you can access information. And then when we come out of meditation, this information then starts to populate in just random remembrance thoughts. It doesn't necessarily happen in the meditation for me, although I've had some wild visualizations in it, it happens afterwards. And then just by meditating and getting into that space for about 30 minutes, there's a residual after effect on your emotional well-being for about four to six hours. So you then operate the rest of your day with less stress, less anxiety, more clarity, 
which means you find the answers inside of you a lot faster. So those are just some of the other benefits of meditation. Does it have to be done over a progressive process or such as five minutes this week, 10 minutes next week, 15 minutes, or is it a matter of going straight in for that 30 minute block? Uh, so for me, uh, like for instance, as a transcendental meditation meditation instructor, we recommend 15 minutes as a sweet spot, essentially. Um, for myself, I meditate twice a day. So I meditate in the morning and then I meditate around 1, 32 o'clock. Like after this show, I'll end up meditating. Um, and it revitalizes my energy and it resets me for the rest of the day. But this is the balance of being and becoming. When we meditate, when we do these things for ourselves, we're in our state of being, which helps us orient our being to be aligned so that when we start creating or becoming, we're creating in alignment with what we know our being is. But in the Western society world, which I know includes, you know, where you're at as well, it's a lot of do, 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 become, 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 it's all that, right? Well, then we lose the fact that we're not in touch with ourselves and the being. So all the things that we're doing doesn't really fill us up because we're just doing what everybody tells, tells us to do and not doing exactly what we want to do. So I think it's essential to spend time in being. And just to give you an idea, I spend an hour in being a day and I spend now nine hours in becoming. So, But that's all I need is that hour. And then what happens is in those nine hours, I'm much more effective. My quality of work is much higher. Um, I, I find myself way more creative. So all the positive benefits have the residual effect of just spending that hour per day. You're selling it to me. <laughs> How has your relationships to women changed over the years? Going back to your ex-wife and the relationship you had there and comparing that to the types of relationships you have with women or a woman. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm currently in a relationship. Her name is Julia. She's uh, an incredible woman. Uh, she's a perfect woman for me. Um, nobody's perfect. But she is. Thank you. Um, and before my relationship with women, so for me, I've I've always uh, not not to toot my horn. It's just the truth of the fact. I've always attracted really attractive women. So. <laughs> So I, I, I've never really liked looked at porn in a way to say that, oh, I'm not attracted to the woman I'm with. Matter of fact, I had incredibly attractive women I was with, but the addiction to porn is what kept me keep going back for this thing. So porn never really gave me a skewed view of women, but it did skew my own confidence with, with other women that wasn't my partner and also my partner. So like I had the social anxiety. Even though I was with a really beautiful woman, I also had a social anxiety, which also means that if I was talking to other women, it would stimulate even more because because I didn't feel safe with them because of what I was doing to them in, in, the, in the private, right? So, um, so what happened was, is as I started to dissolve porn, I started to find myself, my social anxiety was declining. Um, my openness was much more, my heart was way more open. And now around women, I'm a very safe presence for them. Like they don't feel like I'm there to try and be with them. If even if they, whether they know I have a girlfriend or not, like I don't show up in a way that's like, oh, I want to do something with you. I show up in a way that's very safe and calming and present for them. And that's how I show up with my my girlfriend now. And then what happened was I learned so much through that last relationship. I learned about my anxious attachment, right? When when I wanted to talk about something, I would go over the top with it. I learned about all the areas in which shame, when I would experience shame, I didn't want to be transparent. 
So I was very, I, I am and have been very transparent with our relationship. The first week of our relationship, there was a lot of rumors that were going around because me and my ex-wife lived in the same area that me and uh, Julia does. And every single rumor that came back to me, she would come ask me and I was 100% transparent with her. So I always like to say that transparency is your key to freedom. The more transparent you can be, the more healing occurs, not only through yourself and the shame, but also the inverse acceptance that comes from that and the empowerment from that. So a lot has changed, but ultimately the biggest thing I can say is change is, is the fact that I'm willing to say the thing that I'm going to say, no matter how I feel about it, no matter if I'm judging myself, no matter if I feel like the person that I'm about to tell it to might think differently of me, it's about my healing and my empowerment and my way of being. And that's what's most important to me. So that's the way I'm going to be. Mm -hmm. That's quite brave, isn't it? Takes courage. Yeah. <laughs> Takes a lot of courage because hiding is a symptom of shame and hiding comes from being a coward. Mm -hmm. Because we're afraid of judgment, we're, we're judging ourselves, we're afraid of judgment from other people, we're afraid of failure, we're afraid of whatever else that's coming through, and, and courage is simply taking action despite fear. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you would have done differently over the years? Um, so in a conscious way, I would say no, right? So I would say, hey, everything that I have done and everything that I have experienced have led me to this point to have such a deep purpose inside of me, and also... The fact that I was a bullshitter and an addict for so long, I have a very strong bullshit meter. Like my intuition is is geared towards truth, right? So like it helps. I'm, I'm very good with coaching because my intuition informs me when things are off and everything else. I wouldn't really have had that. When I was in the middle of all that addiction, my natural gift was knowing uh, human psychology and behavior and patterns. Like that was my natural gift. So when I form that with the intuitive gift of the big bullshit meter, I can populate things very quickly when I'm coaching. Now, on the other side of things, if I were to say, if I could change something, right, based off of just because this is the frame of mind of what it is, I would not have watched porn. <laughs> I would have not have gone that route. <laughs> because the amount of uh, the amount of shame, guilt, stress, uh, the lack of being able to keep relationships, the lack of being able to feel love in myself. Um, I got to the point where I was experiencing porn-induced erectile dysfunction. So, like, I was with women, but I couldn't get it up. Uh, because I had mapped all of my sexual arousal to a computer screen. <laughs> I had literally, I got to the point, dude, where I would like start opening my laptop and I would start getting an erection, just thinking about, I was about to watch porn. But when I was with my wife, nothing. And how painful that was not only for myself, but also for her, because all the things that she experienced, you're not attracted to me. You don't love me. You don't, and none of that was true, but I could absolutely see how she would respond that way with what was happening. So yes, if I could do it all over again, I want to watch porn. But in the truth of the matter is, again, without that, I wouldn't be who I am today. Yeah, again, I can I can relate to all that, man. Yeah, very similar stories. And do you feel porn is a big problem at the moment? Or is it that shame is a massive problem at the moment? Or is it that loneliness or the fear of being alone is a massive problem at the moment? Is there a commonality that you see or experience with the type of men you work with on a regular basis? Yeah. So with what you asked, I would say that porn, um, I, porn isn't the problem, so to speak. Uh, we have been, sex has been shamed by our cultural society as a whole, almost in the entire planet, 
Um, even in Eastern philosophy, uh, there's still a stigma around it. I mean, there wouldn't be the hentai porn and everything else that's happening in Japan and the weird things that are coming from that space if there wasn't some sort of demonization of sex. So when we think about some of the major religions, I'll just pull Christianity because that's the one that I've been a, a part of, right? It's like, you can't have sex before marriage. That's a sin, right? It's one of the, one of the 45,000 Christian religions believe that, and most of them do, right? You can't have, uh, unless you can't jack off, like you can't have sex unless you're gonna have a kid, like you can't blah, blah, blah. Like all of this is just eliciting shame, right? Saying that sex is bad in all these different forms, and it's only good if you do it in this one form. Well, what includes all those different porn or all those different forms? Porn is one of those forms, right? Um, so then porn comes out and it's a huge industry and it's got all these different things that are attached to it and whatnot, and it's gotten pretty wild and crazy and all that different stuff. But ultimately, it's still on the choice of the user to use the porn. So I can't blame porn. I can look at the society, uh, the matrix that we've created around shame around sex, which can drive porn use to happen. In the United States, the highest areas of porn concentration of porn addiction is Utah and Southeast United States. Why? Because the Mormonisms preach, Mormons preach that if you have sex, you're going to hell, uh, or if you watch porn, you're going to hell, essentially. And Southeast United States, Southern Baptist, Southern Methodist, Southern, all, same type of frame around it, right? It's not education. It's if you do this, you're going to hell. And if you infringe on somebody's free will and you say you can't do something, especially a child, the first thing the child is going to do is become curious on why. And then that curiosity leads them to watch this thing. Why is this so bad? Oh, well, this is, now this is great. And now we've created a bigger problem just through our perspective of sex in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Catholicism as well is uh, intertwined uh -huh. in all that. So. I was raised Catholic. So yeah, I, I can relate to all that. So man, uh, Zach, this has been enlightening, inspiring. So thank you so much for your time, your energy and your value that you shared here today in the podcast. Where can the men who are listening to this reach out to you and potentially get involved and work with you? Yeah, so uh, luckily nobody really has my name on any social media outlet. So at Zach Blakeney, Z-A-C-K-B-L-A-K-E-N-E-Y. Uh, you can check out my website, unleashyourg.com uh, backslash start. And this is for self-mastery. Uh, and if you're really struggling with pornography and that's something that you want to look into, it's taketheredpill.io. Uh, that one as well. So I use the matrix for that analogy. Um, but any of those areas are fine. If you want to reach out to me on Instagram or any sort of social media platform and ask me a question, I'm available to you. So just know I'm not going to withhold information, you know, whatever you need, I'm here to serve you. Appreciate that. I will add those links below, gentlemen. So go check them out. And thanks again, Zach. Absolutely, Gavin. It was my honor. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.